So when you get to my stage of life, you, you pick up on these little vignettes of, of the world that you didn't notice when you were busy raising kids and shepherding and you know trying to co coordinate everything. So the willow, the she was four, she's four-ish, five. So she stood up. She was a little confused when Danny, when Dan excused people, and her brother Daniel said, "She'll be okay. She's got me." And I thought that's a lesson we forgot. Yeah, we knew it when we were kids. We forget that lesson. So let me pray to, as we start. Lord, I thank you that you, um, I thank you that you are present here. I thank you that it's not something we need to um, invite you to come, although we do, and we welcome you. But you're present with us in all times and all places. Without that, we would be destroyed. But I just thank you that we are not, and that we can be a testimony to you and to your goodness and your love. In Christ's name, amen. So I got a laser pointer. I debated all week whether to use it. Um, decided not to because it would, it would make you think I was a professor. And as one of my friends said, Phil, you are a professor. <laughs> so, but I don't want to, you know, uh, uh, okay. So I'm, not gonna, I'm probably not going to use it. But I am going to take you back. So that we're in, the, in, a, in, a, in a short series. On, Dan gave the vision of the church last week or, that we want to turn into a culture of discipleship, disciple-making, you know, be, being disciples ourselves, being a, making disciples of, of, of the Lord. And he introduced us to something called the Jesus-shaped journey. So if I could have the slide... I've got a bunch of slides this morning. So. Okay, so this is, the, this is the basic form of the Jesus-shaped journey, a tool that, that, um, that we've been working with and, and uh, talking about. Dan last week talked about the call. The call, is, so the story is this. This is drawn from Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 21 and going on to the end of Luke chapter 4. But why do we call it the Jesus-shaped journey? Well, number one, it's the, it's the way that Jesus shapes us. This is part of the process by which we are shaped by Jesus. Number two, this is how we become more Christ-like. So in other words, it is being shaped by Jesus to more closely resemble Jesus. So, um, so in, in other circles, they would call it spiritual formation, um, that's what this is. This is a process of spiritual formation. But we're calling it the Jesus-shaped journey just to give you some sense of that. Now, Dan last week talked about the call. The passage begins um, with uh, Jesus has not yet begun his public ministry. John is out baptizing in the River Jordan. Jesus goes, this is in chapter 3. Luke goes out, or John goes, Jesus goes out and he is baptized by John, not because, you know, it, because what he's doing is he's announcing to everyone, okay, now my ministry is beginning. My public ministry is beginning. So and at the time of his baptism, a dove descends from heaven on him, and a vo the voice of the Father speaks. So you've got the three persons of the Trinity in one spot at one time, Jesus the Holy Spirit in the form of the dove, the Father. And what the Father says is, this is my beloved Son 
in whom I am well pleased. Three things. This is my son. He, I, he is loved by me, and I am pleased with his work. If you're a parent, you might be able to say two of those three sometimes. This is my son. I love him. I'm not always pleased with him, my daughter. You know, but I'm not always pleased with the path they're taking, but this is, these are the three parts that, he, that the voice gives him, the father gives him. That's his identity. That's the identity that comes at the beginning of his ministry, the public identity that he has. For you and me, we have an identity in Christ. That identity never changes. He has, he knows us. He has claimed us as his own. He knows every one of our sins. Not just sin in the broad sense, but every single one of our sins. Not only does he know them, he has paid the penalty, whatever the eternal penalty would be, he has paid that. So we don't have to. So he claims us, he loves us, and eventually we will, live with, we will reign with him in glory. We will reign with, I don't know what that means exactly. Um, in my mind, I'm imagining Shannon Smith saying to people, well, tell me your story. Or I'm imagining Bob Cole saying, how can I help? I don't know what it looks like, but that's, maybe that's it. Maybe it looks like something like that. So that's our identity. That doesn't ever change. That's given to us by Jesus. He loves us. He claims us. He's pleased with us. And we'll reign with him. Now, out of that identity comes our call. And for Jesus, it's when he begins his public ministry. Our call comes from our identity. And as Dan said last week, the call is, is the specific kinds of roles and responsibilities, the things that we do, the way we live our lives to, bring a, to, bring, to worship God, to serve his people. That's our call. And while our identity doesn't change at all, ever, our call changes. My call changed multiple times. The particular, many elements of it are the same, but you know, some elements are different because the roles and the responsibilities we serve can be different. That's our call. And as Dan pointed out last week, one of the, one of the things that we face is that we reverse these things. Is that we say, you know, our call becomes our identity. My call is not that I was a genetics professor. That was my call, but that, was my, that wasn't my identity. That was, the, that was the roles and responsibilities that I was given to, to serve God and to serve his people. When I got confused and started thinking to myself, as that was my identity, that was a problem. That's when trouble arises, when we reverse them and we think, our call is actually our identity. Our identity doesn't ever change because that was done by Jesus. Our call will change at different parts of our lives, but we can never let the two things be reversed. And yet, I think all of us will say, yeah, we do this all the time. We, we accidentally confuse our call 
our call as a parent, as a spouse, as a, a doctor, a lawyer, a, a police officer, our call in whatever role of life we're called, we have, we take that as our identity. But that's not our identity. That's, that, so that's the important part of the call. It comes out of our identity. Okay. Now, in the, in the diagram, do you want the laser pointer or can you just read the diagram without it? You can read the diagram without it? Okay, good. All right. Out of the, out of the call comes the challenge. We're going to talk about the challenge today, so I'll just leave that for now. And then from the challenge comes the completion. You get these nice three C's, call, challenge, completion. And I'll, point, I'll say to you, the completion is not the completion once and for all. The completion is rather this cycle or this phase, or if you think of it as a wave, this wave, all right? And it will happen over and over and over again as we become more Jesus-shaped. So this cycle of call coming out of our identity and remembering our identity challenges and completion to get back to our identity goes on again and again and again throughout our lives. Okay. Now, the challenge... I want to use my laser pointer, but I can't. The challenge... The challenge uh, comes with trying to carry out our call and trying to do it honestly as God would have us do it. They're the temptations that we face. So these were also faced by Jesus. Why does that matter? Why does it matter that Jesus, who's God, God incarnate, that he faced the challenges that we face? After all, he, he's God. Why did he face these challenges? Well, part of the answer is on our next slide. It's found in Hebrews. Hebrews 3, verses 4, verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. So, you, you, you've had the situation, I'm sure all of us had, where you're struggling with something. You're confused, you're grieving, something in your life, you just can't get your arms around it. There's something going on, you just can't f see what's going on. And you go talk to somebody, and you're telling them and explaining it all to them, and out of the goodness of their heart, they say, oh, I know just how you feel. And then they start telling you their story. And you say, well, that's not at all what I felt. That's totally different. That's, I don't think you really understood what I was going through. I, I know you're well-intentioned, but I don't think you got it. See, that's not true with Jesus. Because he was just like us, because he was a human, and subject to the human things that we are, he knows exactly what we faced. He knows those challenges. So that when we speak to him and talk to him, and when he represents us to the Father, he knows just what we went through. He can sympathize with, with our weakness. So that's why this challenge matters, at least part of why it matters, why Jesus went through it. 
so that he could represent us uh, with sympathy and understanding, love, mercy, grace, because he went through it himself. Okay, so let's now look at the verses. And next slide, which is Luke chapter 4. Sorry, I have to get out of my wordle and I have to go find my... Um, all right, Luke chapter 4. Starting in verse 1. <clears throat> and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, his baptism, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. Not surprisingly. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. This is the first challenge, the first temptation Jesus faces. Notice what the target is. The target from Satan, Satan's target is not bread. It's his identity. If you are the son of God. That's the target. See, the target is not that he would turn the stones into bread. That's the way he would fulfill his call. The target is the identity. All right? What's the strategy that Jesus is going to use to, full, to do this? He wants to create doubt about who Jesus is, about whether God claims him, loves him, and is pleased with him. That's Satan's target. Jesus was hungry. The temptation was not simply to feed himself, but rather about how he's going to live out his identity. Now, I also want to put... Um, okay. Next slide. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you should worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Okay. That's the second temptation, the second challenge Jesus faces from Satan. Jesus is the creator of all things. All things were created by him. All things were created for him. But as we read in Hebrews, we don't, at this interval of, of eternity, we don't see it that way. We don't see, see all things being placed under his feet. It's true, but we don't see it that way. Satan tempts him. So it's all Jesus, he has, Jesus will have this authority. Satan is tempting him to shortcut the process. Claim that authority now. Rather than going through this process of your call and all these things you're going to face, just claim it now. How is he going to fulfill his call? So that's the second challenge, is to, is to claim this authority for himself now rather than later. All right. And to read on in the next slide. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, I put it in red so you'd notice, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. 
For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. That last phrase, until an opportune time, that's really important. Because it says, this was not the only time. This was not a one-and-done cycle. This was going to happen again and again. That's what gives us the confidence, or part of the confidence, or part of the awareness, that it's not one-and-done for us. Satan departed for a time, but came back. All right. So what's the temptation here? Show us who you are. Make a grand entrance. Draw attention to yourself. Forget all this humility and all that kind of stuff. Draw attention to yourself. Again, notice he says, if you are the son of God. Satan is tempting Jesus to live out his identity and his call differently. Okay. Now, so, so let me just keep going on with this. We're going to talk about this in, in more depth. So let's go on to the next slide. All right, so we're back to our diagram where we added two things. We added the adversaries on one side, the things that challenge us in our call, and the advocates on the other side, which are the things that help us to restore us back to completion. I'm not going to talk about the advocates today, but in previews of coming attractions, I'll tell you that they're the Holy Spirit and the other members of the body of Christ. But don't, you know, be surprised when, it, when Dan talks about it next week. All right. Okay. Now, the adversaries. It's usually summarized in a phrase by, from, that comes apparently from Thomas Aquinas. Um, it's been used for well over a thousand years in the, in the church. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are the challenges. The world, the flesh, and the devil. I don't think I need to tell you how the world challenges our call. How the society around us, how the people, the culture that we're in, how that challenges us, how it tempts us to live out our lives differently. It's true for Jesus. Everyone in an expectation of 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 what the Messiah should do. He had that expectation. He had a certain set of expectations on how a Jewish young man should behave. He had those expectations. He had the society and the culture and all the pressures that they put on him to live out his call differently. All right? You see it throughout the Gospels. We're not going to really talk much about it today, but I don't probably need to talk about it because you know how society pressures you, challenges you, and how you live out your call and your identity. All right. So the flesh, is, which is one of going to be our primary topic, is our human nature. This is maybe, and you can make other cases, but this is probably the, the passage where you see Jesus being challenged the most about his, in his human nature. Maybe they'll be thinking of others. So that's why, that, and, and then the devil. So the flesh and the devil are the principal adversaries here. Again, the advocates are the ones that bring us back to the other side. So on the next slide, we, explain, we expand a little on the, on, the, on the idea of the flesh. 
that is our humanity. What is it about our humanity that are the battlefronts that Satan uses? Again, probably don't need to explain this a lot because we're all familiar with this. You know, sometimes when I'm up here, like when I was talking about the shepherds a month ago, and I thought, I don't know the first thing about being a shepherd. What do I know about being a shepherd? I was in a pasture once, you know, I saw sheep in the pasture. And I, I was talking through my hat, you know, but, sorry, that's a Western Pennsylvania expression, meaning I'm not sure I knew what I was talking about. All right, but when I'm talking about being tempted, I'm talking from years and years and years of experience talking about how the, and I could, any of you could come up here and talk about years of experience of how you've been tempted, how you've been challenged to live out your life. What are the challenges that you've, that you've encountered as you live out, your, out the call God has made to you? It's, it's appropriate to put them in these three categories, but understand that these really overlap a lot, and, but we can, we can sort of work on it this way. This is when Jesus was fully human. So we can talk about the appetite, the ambition, and, and the approval. And those were the three challenges that you see in these temptations. Let's, let's talk about, the, let's go to the next slide. The appetite. Take these stones and turn them into bread. We all need to eat. We're not, and, and that's something important to recognize. These are challenges, but they're not bad things. Appetite is a perfectly normal human thing. We have appetites of all kinds. It's the way God made us. It's who we are. It can be appetites for food and drink. It can be appetites for learning new stuff. It can be appetites for having a whole house generator. It can be, you know, it can be all kinds of things. They're not bad. God has blessed us with these things. It may be that you're somebody who just enjoys life. You enjoy the good things in life. You just enjoy the life. You enjoy, and so this can be a challenge to you as it is to all of us, because you're enjoying life, all the blessings, but then it becomes, well, do I think I need to do this myself? Do I think God really loves me and knows what I need and can provide this? Or do I need to do this myself? If I buy this other book and read about it, will that satisfy something else in my identity that I don't have? If I buy this thing, is that going to give me some new identity that I don't have? See, it's not, maybe we are living, maybe out of fear, maybe because we fear we're missing out. We start thinking we need to provide for ourselves. That God, maybe he doesn't really want to do this for us. He doesn't really love us that much. He can't really do it. We need to do this for ourselves. That's the identity question. Can God provide what is needed for our call? And does he want us to do that? Or do we have to do that ourselves? Jesus didn't turn the stones into bread. It's, turning stones into bread is not a challenge you and I would face because we have no capacity to do that. 
But we face the same challenge many other times to satisfy our appetites by our own needs, by our own means. Okay, confusing the blessings that we give, that is God given us to, say, something we're entitled to or something that we think is going to fill our call in a different way. Second, ambition. Satan says, rule over, I'll show you all the kingdoms of the world and you can rule over them. Many of us, for many of us, this is, our, this is one of our principal challenges. I would say this for me, although all of them were challenges, and I can give you examples from all of them, this may have been the, the primary one in my life. Maybe you're a person who knows how to get things done. You see solutions where other people see problems. You, uh, you have good ideas. You want to do the right thing. You want to, all of these are good things. The, the church needs this. Society needs this. Society needs people who know how to do the right thing and get it done. Right? And one of, the, one of the dangerous parts here is you get rewarded by your job if, you're, if you have this capacity. You get rewarded by the people around you. If you're somebody who can get things done and solve problems and get it done, hey, there's a world of people who are going to feed that ambition. All right? So, but the question comes back to, am I going to be the servant of God? Is he going to provide what I need for my call? Or do I want God to serve me? How many times, I would never have said it publicly or out loud like this, but I would say it in my mind. Hey, God, I got this one. I can handle it. It'd be good if you can kick in a few things to help me along the way, but I got it. Well, that's okay. So, third the approval of others. Make a grand entrance. Make a good impression. Again, this can be something for many of us, this is, a, this is a significant challenge. And it comes out of good things. We want to serve others. We want to help others. We enjoy being around other people. We, um, we want to keep the peace. We want to, a generation before me even, make friends and influence people. And after all, isn't that being somewhat Christ-like? It is. Nobody wants to be around somebody who's disagreeable and, and, you know. Christ didn't call us to become unlikable people. We sort of manage that on our own, many of us. But, but you know, we, we are called to live in, with the approval of people, but... Does the approval of people and their opinion, is that what we're working for? Or are, we, or, or are we satisfied in the love and the opinion of God? So all of these appetite, ambition, approval, they're all God-given. They're all good. They're not wrong by themselves. But they become challenges and temptations when we start to make them into our identity when they become incorporated into the identity that comes from Christ. The specific forms of these temptations and challenges are going to change over the course of our lives. Speaking from my own experience, they have changed a lot. I don't have the same appetites that I had, most of, for the most part, that I had when I was a teenager. I don't have the same ambitions. 
Not that I don't have ambitions, but they're different. All right? They change with our stage of life. They change with our circumstances of life. They depend on our personalities, how we've been, how we've been gifted by and blessed by God. But I don't think they go away, at least not yet. From my, speaking from my angle, do they go away? Not yet. Okay. Let me go to just the next slide and spend a few minutes on this. The world, the flesh, and the devil. We've talked about the world. We know, you all know about that. You've talked about the challenges arising from the flesh. We're all very familiar with those. What about direct attacks by Satan? Is that something that actually happens, and do we experience those? I'm going to tell you one story from my life, one episode from my life. You can take it as you will. You can dismiss it. You can, all right? I'm just going to tell it straight. It occurred at a time, and this is not common. It's one. It may have been others, but this is one. It occurred at a time when everything in my life was going really well. In my profession, I was doing very well. Deb and I were and great, and the kids were great. The church I was a leader in, nobody was squabbling. It was one of those, you know, like almost date when that was, because when, when was there a season when no one was squabbling? Uh, uh, it seemed like a, it was, everything was good. I was alone at a genetics conference in my hotel room at night. And for whatever reason, Satan and his forces decided this is when they're going to attempt, this is when they're going to challenge me. And there was a presence in the room that I have not felt since, and I don't hope to feel again. Absolutely crushing me. And, I mean, you know the scene is in Star Wars where, um, where the Emperor or Darth Vader is going and sending out the lightning bolts, and, and Obi-Wan or Luke is going, because they, yeah, it was like that. It was like that. I, had, I couldn't respond. I couldn't respond. I, had, I was powerless. I don't know how long this lasted. It might have been 20 minutes. It might have been two hours. I don't know. I have no idea. But here's what Satan did. You know that Satan is, an, is the accuser. That's, that's, he's the accuser. And I always assumed that he was going to accuse me of things falsely. That's not what he did. He said, oh, you remember when you were in high school and you looked at the girl this way? Remember this? Remember this time you did this? Remember this time you did this? Remember? Everything he accused me of was stuff that I had actually done or thought or that I had buried and forgotten. And then he would say, do you think Jesus knows about that? Do you think Jesus could forgive that? Do you think Jesus would want a person like that as part of his kingdom? Why would you think Jesus would want that? Why would Jesus want that? And I realized that I wasn't the target. The target was Jesus. Did, could Jesus forgive this? Could Jesus love a person like this? Could this person be part of his kingdom? The target was Jesus. I was collateral damage. Satan didn't care about that. He wanted to target Jesus. And then all I can tell you is this is what happened. And I say it happened next, but I don't know 
there's sequence of events is not, is not, I'm not sure if what happened next. Suddenly, all these Bible verses started coming out. I started saying all these Bible verses out loud. Now, I don't know if I said them in the King James. I don't know if I said them in the New American Standard or the NIV. I don't know. I didn't get them word for word right. I don't remember intentionally memorizing them, but they were just pouring out of me, one after another after another. And then all these songs, hymns that I had sung as a kid, spiritual songs, I was singing them out loud. I'm sure I wasn't on key. If I was on key, it would have been the only time in my life I ever sang on key. You know, but they were just pouring out as Satan is just making accusation after accusation after accusation that Jesus could never love me. And then, I'm just telling you, I feel like I heard a voice saying, you can't have him, he's mine. And it went away. It's the only time in my life. So I knew at the time that it was a direct attack from Satan. I didn't know what else happened. I went to visit some friends of mine on the same trip. Christian friends, and I told them, and they said, oh, we know what it was. That was the Holy Spirit. The advocates, the Holy Spirit, and my Christian friends telling me that it was the Holy Spirit. It's the only time it ever happened. So do we experience these? I had one that I'm sure of. I don't know if there have been others. I don't know if you've had others. But yes, they still happen. So this, is the, so, if we can, so this is the pattern. As my friend George said, our lives are like an oscilloscope. You know, we go through this, I guess, this again and again and again. One wave after another wave after another wave after another wave. Does it ever end? Well, not yet. Maybe, from my perspective of, of, at this stage, Maybe, if you think of it as a wave, maybe the frequency of it gets less. Maybe not. Maybe I have fewer cycles of this than I used to. I think that the intensity gets less, the, the amplitude of the wave, the, the distance to the challenge gets less. I say that cautiously because I don't, I know that I could, you know, tomorrow it could be different. I'm pretty sure that the wavelength gets less, the distance between the call and the completion gets shortened, at least again so far. Does it go away? No. I don't think it does. And here's why I don't think it does. This is the process that by, by which Jesus shapes us to resemble himself. This is the process of spiritual formation. This is how we become more Christ-like. I'm not fully Christ-like yet. So it's going to continue. I don't welcome it. But boy, the power that is at work in us and in the people around us, the Christian friends around us, is so much greater than the power that is in the world, the flesh, and the devil. So let me pray. Lord, I just thank you that you have given us this identity 
that you have claimed us as your own. You know everything about us. You've forgiven it. You've paid any eternal penalty that we might face. That you love us. And that we're going to reign with you. And that's an identity that never changes. And I just thank you and I praise you for that as we face the challenges of this life. In Christ's name, who is shaping us, amen.